what God's been focusing me on is something really important, and that something is love. Now, I know we talk a lot about love, but God has really been making me look deeper, dig deeper into what love is. And he's been using three scriptures to highlight this point. So I'm just going to read them for you here now. The first scripture is in the book of James. And James writes, faith without works is dead. The second scripture is where Jesus is standing at the end of time. And he's standing in judgment. And he says this, On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me. I know you're thinking, those two verses aren't necessarily about love. But the third verse, and this is the one that God's really been imprinting me, is in 1 Corinthians, where where Paul writes this. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I had to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't have love, I would have gained nothing. So God has been really using these seemingly unrelated verses, combining them to teach me something really fundamental, and it's the very highest of importance. What you've got in James is a really blunt warning. What good is your faith if it doesn't have works? It's dead, and you might as well not have it. And we have Jesus at the end of time. He's talking to a group of people who seem to have faith and works. They've got so much faith They're actually doing amazing things. They're casting out demons. They're doing miracles. They've been working with faith. They call Jesus Lord, and they do miracles in his name. And yet, Jesus says to them, get away from me. I don't know if you can think of a a more terrifying thought than that, seriously. It's if you've lived your whole life working with faith, doing crazy things in Jesus' name, surely you could be going to heaven. It's, It's doing amazing things. It's wrong. Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. And then we come to the point that God has been drilling into me. And this is Paul's verse, and it sums it up entirely. It's love. Without love, you are a clanging symbol. You're literally annoying to God. Don't get me wrong. The Bible is quite clear. You need faith. You need works. You can't please God without faith. And without works, you don't have an alive faith. But the point is this. Everything you do needs to be done in love. And I'm not talking about the usual stuff. Loving your family, your church, your friends. That's what everybody does. What God is asking for is completely different. It's radical love. Every single thing you do needs to be done in love. You need to live in love permanently. When somebody cuts you up on a roundabout, you need to respond in love. Forgiving without being asked. The neighbor, and I'm sure everyone's got all of these, who parks like a muppet all the time. You need to react in love. You need to forgive them without being asked. Even if they're rude to you, even if they don't want your forgiveness, even if they don't care about you, you need to love them and react in love. I can't stress this point enough. We aren't called to an easy love. This isn't some Disney-type love. 
We are called to a hard, sacrificial, impossible love. We are called to love like God. God died so he could save a people who hated him, a people who spit on him, who beat him, who nailed him to a cross and cursed his name. They despised absolutely everything about him. If we don't love, if we don't have love for each other, for our enemies, for every single person we meet, if we don't live and love, then we are nothing. As a church, we talk about love a lot. It's a motto to see God's love, transform lives as we follow him. So love is at the core of what we do as this church. It's what we stand for. But let's not just have it as a motto. It's not a, ca- it's not a catchy title. It's not a motto. It's love. It's be- we need to be serious, really serious and intentional about this. We need to pray daily and ask God to show us where we aren't loving. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit to empower us because this is a serious and impossible love. I'm going to pray now. Um, and I'm just, Before I move on to the Lord's Prayer, I'm just going to pray about this because it's so important. Let me just bow our heads. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you have called us out of darkness and into light. And this light is love because you are love and you are our light. You have called us to love like you. And that is impossible, Lord. But if you have called us to something, then we know you are always faithful. And with you, all things are possible. We can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So Father, pour out your spirit. Pour out the spirit of Jesus here today on every single person for this one purpose I ask, that we can love like you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just before I move on, there's a little word of warning that goes with that. I usually find if Jesus has told me something, if he's putting something upon me, it doesn't escape the enemy's notice. So when I was preparing, when I was writing this, I write in this very section, I had to go and tell my daughter Eva off. I'd just spent 10 hours in the garden. I'd come in and started preparing. And uh, yeah, I'd been shifting three tons of gravel. I'd just put it down and I had to pick it up and relay it. It's a long story, don't ask. But I was exhausted, really exhausted. And then Eva was doing something that just really pushes my buttons. She knows how to do it. She knows how to wind me up. So she's pushing my buttons. And then I went and disciplined her. But I did it in anger. I didn't do it in love. And that there is the sheer magnitude of what we're called to. That's the, the task. It's literally a test. You'll be tested on it every single day. But that's because at the very core of what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ is love. It's the essence of being a Christian. So you will be tested on this. The first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and to love your neighbor as yourself. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there and just tell you what God's been putting on my heart. So with that in mind, I'm going to push on and hopefully finish the Lord's Prayer today. Um, so I'm just going to have a quick recap of what we covered and um, hopefully this clicker will work. Okay. So I started by saying how the Lord's Prayer is actually a model prayer. It isn't an exact prayer. It's not a formula that you have to use. It's a, a template, if you like. Um, it helps us to remember what we need to pray for and our needs. But it's, uh, you can also pray it through it as it was originally meant, but as long as you're doing that in a heartfelt, genuine way. 
The first line is, Our Father, which art in heaven. So I covered the first half of the Lord's Prayer, and I looked at the fact that we've got an amazing privilege to call the all-powerful creator, holy God of the universe, our Father. I talked about how the fact he isn't like an earthly father. He isn't sinful. He isn't frail. He won't fail you. And that worship song we led there, never-ending, unfailing, he will never fail you. He is amazing. He is perfect. He is a heavenly father. And I moved on to hallowed be thy name. We looked at how we're to keep his name holy. We are praying to God for his name to be hallowed. We need to recognize his holiness and lift his name up. And thy kingdom come. This is an awesome line. I love this line. I mentioned it last time. I really love this line. Because we're asking God to see more of his kingdom. We're seeing a magnificent kingdom, a kingdom of love and mercy, a kingdom of rights, wrong, wrongs righted, and of love and curses undone and death being beaten. Then we moved on to thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I finished my sermon last time looking at this line. I talked about how God's will needs to be done absolutely every single time, just like it is in heaven. That we need to have this in mind, that it is his will to be done, not ours. It's thy will be done, my will be gone. It's nothing to do with what we want and everything to do with what he wants. So we're just going to look at the second half of the Lord's Prayer today, which is behind me here. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. So I'm going to look at it line by line again, like I did last time. And we're going to start with, give us this day our daily bread. So what is it we mean when we pray this? Are we praying for actual, literal bread? Well, in this country, in this generation, there are very few people starving to death. Now, unfortunately, there is an increasing need for things like our food bank. But overall, there isn't an epidemic of deaths by starvation in the UK. There's still a social social safety net of sorts. Whether that's the government or social care, whether that's led by charities, or in this case, the church. So what do we, in 2019, in Britain, need to pray for daily bread for? I think there's two things going on here. I think we can pray about this. And firstly, we need to acknowledge that this, although we think of ourselves as self-sufficient, independent, and secure, it's actually God who is the source of all of this. It seems unimaginable when we sit here now in peace and safety, but it's been 73 years, only 73 years, since the end of the last global war. There were approximately 80 million people who lost their lives in that war. Tens of thousands of those lives were lost in Britain, men, women, and children, killed in their own homes. Rationing and food shortages in that war lasted for 14 years. Security, protection from violence, and provision of food These are gifts from the Lord. And we shouldn't ever be arrogant enough to think that we don't need this prayer. This is a prayer we need as much today as we did 2,000 years ago when Jesus spoke it. 
But there's also a second aspect to this prayer. When we're praying for daily bread, it's the fact that Jesus says in John 6, I am the bread of life. And then later in John 6, he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Now, if you're new to church, or you've never heard that verse before, that sounds slightly strange or even disturbing. So I'm just going to explain it briefly. When we look at scripture, there's a really, really helpful phrase to remember. If the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. So if you're reading in Matthew, where Jesus says, anyone who even looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery in his heart. That makes sense. That's literal, and you can't twist it. Jesus means what he says there. It's being straight to the point. But when Jesus says you've got to eat his flesh, that doesn't really make literal sense. And that's not what Jesus is literally saying there. Wherever cannibalism is mentioned in the Bible, and unfortunately it is, it's always portrayed as the really despicable act that it is. Jesus is not contradicting the Bible. What Jesus is saying in these verses is that he is going to be our sacrifice. That in order for us to be able to receive this new life and enter into this amazing relationship with him, we need to accept this sacrifice. We need to eat his body. We have to acknowledge that we need him. We have to accept him and only we can only be saved by his body which is broken for us. He took the punishment we deserve. And we recognize this and then we celebrate this when we take communion. We eat bread and it's a symbolic act that reminds us what Jesus did for us. So when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, what we're asking for is a both a spiritual and a physical protection and provision. God knows our most desperate needs. Spiritually, we're lost without him. We'll die without bread, and we're lost without the bread of life. Physically, we die, and spiritually, we die. So when we pray through this prayer, let's really consider that we have desperate needs, but we have a God who gloriously and generously provides for us. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, most modern translations will actually update this word trespass with the word sin. So what we're asking for here is forgiveness for sin. Going back to our greatest needs again, we all know, or we should all know, that we have sinned. We have all fallen short of the standards that God demands. He is perfect and holy, and he requires a perfect and holy people. If we want to be with him, we have to be holy. We have to be perfect. There's an interesting point as well. That if you want to earn your way to heaven, if you want to get to heaven but don't want a relationship with Jesus, then all you have to do is live a perfect life from the moment you're born until the moment you die. No anger, no lust, no pride, no greed, no envy, no wrong thoughts, no wrong words. Perfect love, perfect care for creation. Every moment of every second of your life. That's easy, right? I know I failed in doing that more times than I could ever possibly count. And the Bible tells me that we are all in that same boat. We have all fallen short of that standard. We all need this forgiveness. But the amazing news is this. We've got a God who isn't just willing to do this. He wants to do it. He gave us his son to die on a cross so that we could have this forgiveness. And that's the good news that we as Christians have. That's the hope, the joy, and the love that we have.
this is the gospel, that we can have this forgiveness. But, and I'm going to go for a but again, there is a condition attached here. God doesn't hide things in the small print. He isn't being sneaky. This is 100% upfront. If we want God's forgiveness, we have to forgive others. This isn't a nicety, and this isn't optional. This isn't even dependent on whether that person's asked for it. This is mandatory. You have to forgive. God does not give us a choice here. And what I'm going to do is just show you a very short video that illustrates, I think, what God's forgiveness looks like. In the video that I'm going to show, there's a man called Dylan Roof. And on the 17th of June in 2015, Dylan walked into a church in South Carolina and shot dead nine people. His sole reason for doing this was racial hatred. The voice you're going to hear in the video is the voice of the daughter of one of those people he killed. She's talking to him in prison via video link. Now, just before I show the video, my wife Sarah told me to put a warning here because it's actually quite an upsetting video. I actually cried the first time I watched it, so uh, just, be, just be warned. So if we can play the video. The family of Ethel Lance, is that correct? And you are whom, ma'am? The daughter. The daughter. I'm listening. And you can talk to me. I just want everybody to know, to you, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I would never talk to her ever again. I would never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you. And have mercy on your soul. You hurt me. You hurt a lot of people. I'm not sure if you could hear that particularly well, um, but near the end she says, but God forgives you, and I forgive you. That is forgiveness. That is real forgiveness. She is forgiving an unrepentant killer. He's not asked for forgiveness. He's just murdered her mother in cold blood. And that's what God's heart looks like. That is forgiveness no matter what. And that is radical love. That's what I was talking about at the beginning. And I just wonder, could we forgive like that? I pray and hope that you never have to, but could you forgive like that? And some of you may wonder why. Why does God forgive and why should we forgive? I'm going to answer that first question, why does God forgive, with another question. Could there possibly be a greater expression of love than forgiveness? Forgiveness like that, that is amazing love. Forgiveness for those who hate you, who despise you so much they kill your perfect son, who came to show love and life, killed in the most cruel way they could possibly imagine. That's love, that is massive, it's mind-blowing love. Knowing what's about to happen, Jesus makes the conscious choice, the willing choice, to come for this purpose that we can know forgiveness. So why should you forgive? Why should we forgive? When you look at what God has forgiven us for, how could you not forgive other people? Your sin is the reason that his son died. He died so that he could forgive you. No one could possibly do anything to you that that is as severe as what was done to Jesus. And if God can forgive you for that, after that, and through that, How could you not forgive others?
I know that as I'm talking about this, there's going to be people here who will struggle with this. And like I said, God isn't calling us an easy thing. God doesn't call us to easy things. But when he calls us to something, he gives us the strength and the power to do it. So if you are struggling with forgiveness, please do not hold it to yourself. It's vital. Like I said, it's not optional. So if it's something you struggle with, please either come and talk to me afterwards or talk with someone you came with, or the prayer ministry team will be at the front and you can speak with them in confidentiality. They won't judge you. Just come and get it off your chest and make sure you don't leave with unforgiveness in your heart. The next line is, lead us not into temptation. Now this verse has been in my prayers consistently for a very long time. Temptation is all around us. We live in a world that celebrates evil. There's temptation everywhere. And I'm not talking about cake at the office. I'm talking about real, soul-destroying temptation. This world celebrates evil every moment of every day. The world calls evil good and good evil. I don't need to give you examples of this because you've got TVs and phones and radios. And every time you turn those on, you're going to find something that goes against what God calls good. Billboards that are filled with images that are designed to make you lust after people or envious over possessions. It is everywhere. And you cannot escape it. But frankly, God isn't calling us to escape it. Because to do that, you'd have to leave the world. He is calling us to live a pure and holy life in this perverse world. In John 17, verse 16, Jesus prays this for us. He's praying to the Father. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. There's an interesting point in the book of James where God, we're told that God doesn't tempt anyone. We are tempted by our own sinful desires. So why then, in this prayer, are we asking him not to lead us into temptation? Well, I think what we're asking here is that we're asking God to lead us in his paths, in his perfect ways that will lead us away from our own sinful temptations. What we're doing is recognizing that we cannot do this by ourselves, that we are drawn to things that are wrong, and that left to our own devices, we will fail. What we're doing here is we are recognizing our need from God. And that is the power of this verse, is humbly submitting to God. But deliver us from evil. We don't just need saving from ourselves. We need saving from ourselves, but it's not just from ourselves. Other translations give this verse as deliver us from the evil one. What we need to do is recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, that we have a spiritual enemy. Paul writes to the Ephesians, and he says this, We don't fight against flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Make no mistake about it, there is a spiritual realm beyond what we can see in the physical. There are evil beings in that realm, and they want to see you destroyed. We need delivering from this evil. On our own, we are powerless against this evil. On our own, darkness wins. But we are not on our own, or at least we don't have to be. God reigns supreme over all. And one day, he will completely overthrow the powers of darkness. At the end of the book of Revelations, we see God casting death, demons, Satan himself into the eternal lake of fire. 
Evil might have its day here and now, but God will have an eternity free from evil. But whilst evil is having its day here, let's pray to God and let's seek his, his protection from that evil. And also remember this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. There isn't a creature, spiritual or physical, that won't eventually be brought under submission under Jesus' name. Every evil and proud, rebellious being will one day face God. And when they do, they won't be proud anymore. They will melt before him like wax before a fire. They won't be able to look at him. You won't be able to hide from his wrath on that day. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So we're at the last line now. So thanks for bearing with me. And this is something that gets said quite a lot, but I don't think there's enough pause or emphasis when we say this. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And this starts with the word for. But we could also use the word because. So why do we pray this prayer and who do we pray it to? We pray it because. We pray it because we pray to an almighty God, a king on a throne, in charge of an infinite, everlasting kingdom. The kingdom the likes of which no one has ever seen. No one but God himself can comprehend how awesome this kingdom is. When you know that that's who you're praying to, when you know that that's the God who listens to your prayer, he doesn't just listen to them, but he answers those prayers, then you pray. You pray because the king of glory reigns. He reigns forever and ever. Of his kingdom there shall be no end. Remember that when the literal sense makes sense, seek no other sense. This forever and ever. This is eternity. It's his kingdom. It's his glory. It's his power. And it's all of his for all of eternity. But our God is awesome. And he is generous. So we, as his children, we get to share all of this. We have been adopted by God. And we get to reign with him in his kingdom. We get to enjoy his glory and experience his power right there with him forever. Amen. (laughs) That little word, amen, it's at the end there. And what it means is literally just, so be it. When we use the word amen, we're literally just saying, yes, we are agreeing with what we've just prayed, or we're agreeing with what somebody else has prayed. So why do we pray? We pray because the awesome king glory because the awesome king of this kingdom wants you to pray you pray because without him you are literally doomed without him you have nothing so i'm just going to close in prayer in a minute and what i'm going to do is i'm just going to pray the lord's prayer through and i'm going to do it really slowly just one line at a time which will give you a chance to uh, have quiet and a bit of space to think about each and every single word to really dwell on the meaning of this prayer and the depth of this prayer And if you're here and you don't know Jesus, if you haven't experienced his forgiveness, his mercy and his love, then this prayer is still for you. I want you to really pray these words for yourself if that's you here today. I want you to seriously ask God to bring his kingdom into your life. To be that bread, that living sacrifice, his life for yours. When we reach the bit about forgiveness, 
I want you to reach out to him and ask him to forgive your sins. Psalm 51 says this, You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O God. So I'm just going to take a few minutes to make this prayer. I want you to pause and really think about what this prayer is and to make it heartfelt. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.